The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Welcome to The Exchange, a conversation with people of interest, business, markets, and financial professionals around the world. I'm Jennifer Sava with Breaking Views, the financial commentary arm of Reuters. On Thursday, Breaking Views editor Rob Cox and I had the pleasure to speak with IAC chairman and media mogul Barry Diller. Barry is behind New York City's amazing floating park above the Hudson, Little Island, which opened in May. And he's also backed businesses including dating, gambling, travel, and more. We discussed these topics, including the recent media M&A frenzy and why he thinks Netflix is already a winner. Here's our Reuters newsmaker discussion with Barry. Hello, Barry. Welcome. Um, I'm very excited that you're here. I want to, uh, you know, start with Little Island. Congratulations. That um, just opened, you know, last month. It was years in the making. You spent, yeah. you and your family foundation spent millions of dollars on it. Um, <laughs> why? I mean, it's beautiful, but why did you, you know, you were in it for the long haul. What, why? Well, what inspired you? It was really, it was really, as these things go, particularly things that I'm ever involved with, it <clears throat> it did not start out wholly conceptualized. It started out with basically a simple idea, which was a bridge was a bridge, a pier was falling apart. They asked if I'd be interested in rebuilding it. And I said, well, I don't really want to build a pier that's rectangular that has was built for boats on either side because that's no longer what these piers are for. And I said, well, you know, if, if, if we could be imaginative and ambitious and not have to be in that footprint, that rectilinear footprint, let me think about that. And that started, sparked uh, 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 several things. First, I love public spaces and public parks. We were very involved in rebuilding the High Line. And, uh, and I also thought that there was really nothing in New York that was on the water and uh, uh, had the ambition to be iconic and that. Yeah, because it kind of floats above the Hudson, right? It's, it's really, yeah, it's, yeah. no, it's nothing, an island. Nothing like and, it. Uh, so that just started a process. And then like many things happen, process begets uh, process and brick and other concrete and other forms that get thrown at you like lawsuits from people who worry about the American eel and how much shade it is not getting, uh, to which I said, well, the river's long. Can't the eel move a few blocks north for sun? Uh, but uh, we went through, it just was a long, long, almost 10 year process. But like, I think it's hard for us to remember pain that's been in the past. Uh, I've kind of forgotten all that stuff and forgotten it because as I walk on it and I see how happy it's making people uh, and how um, it really is crossing that bridge. It is going from the city and stimulus of the city to a pastoral place for, you know, just wandering around, lying around, being entertained. We're starting performances in our three performance spaces next week and we'll do five over 500 between june and september 
And what and what are the what are kind of performances like? Do you envision this for like everything. up and coming it, artists or big big time it, names? No, it's everything. It is. Everything. It is every discipline from comedy to ballet to uh, uh, to to spoken word to dance to everything and it a lot of a lot of new artists and established artists we are not doing i do not want us to be a kind of uh stop on a tour i don't want us mm. to that's not the purpose of this uh for let's call it big superstar acts that tour so to speak and we just be a stop it, it, I want it to be much, uh, uh, you know, much, so to speak, not a, a little looser as a word, but but uh, more whimsical than a whole big production thing. Now, we might do a big concert here and there with a big name, but that's not the purpose. Um, so you're committing $120 million at your family foundation to keep this. Gee, thank you. <laughs> to keep oh, yeah, I, thank you to keep this going. Oh no, 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 no! First of all, you're shy by about two hundred million. Oh, okay. I'm so so you're committed. You're committing a lot. So at some point, uh, though, yeah, this no, is like a lot. You... And we're, look, we're just lucky that we have resources. And a lot of people say, "Well, uh, why are you doing this in this particular place? Couldn't you do it someplace else? Or couldn't?" No, we're not obviously curing a disease. But uh, uh, it is where it is because the pier we're replacing was falling down. I didn't like ask it to be anyplace else. So we're just lucky we can do it and have the resources to do it. And uh, and the return is really the at least so far the I don't know almost hundred thousand people who've been across it. Um, wow, that's 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 amazing. Yeah. So I mean, that's this is a good way to kind of segue into like the reopening right in New York City. I mean, I, yes. we're here in Times Square. And it's I mean, it's, it feels like a weekend here. There, there's not a lot going on. But when I was down there, there were it was, there was a lot of bustle and a lot of people yes. and look like a lot of tourists. I mean, how do you envision New York City coming back? And oh, it's gonna come back with a bang, big, you big, think it's gonna... hopefully not an exhaust bang, but I mean, uh, it's gonna, it has already started. I, I've seen, by the way, Times Square in the last, I mean, as against six months ago, where you could shoot a cannon straight through and not hit anybody. Uh, I saw huge crowds and just wandering around uh, the whole square, et cetera. By the summer, presuming though there's no exogenous something, or some new strain or something terrible happens to us, uh, the the city is going to be fully back. And by fall, when Broadway comes, and international tourism, which now is because of the European being so scattershot in terms of <clears throat> being able to go to places and not have to uh hibernate or restrictions on international travel yeah. all of which i think will fall through the summer new york will be all the things of people saying of which people said okay let's go to florida we pay less taxes uh it's you think that's overstated i mean well it's in a very tiny band of uh people uh, in mostly financial markets uh, who have who who have left New York for Florida 
uh, or for no, not so much for Nevada, but for Wyoming, let's say. Uh, but of those, of those, it, it's relatively. First of all, it's small numerically, and uh, isolated, and and those people didn't really have, I think, real connections to the city. Mm. They really didn't participate in city life uh, to the extent that I think the, the people who seem to care about New York, not at the higher end of income and wealth and whatever, they certainly travel a lot, but but they're, you know, they're they're their emotions and hearts and things are for the city. And I think they'll be supportive of it. At least as, as I have seen so far, uh, that support is it, when it's tested, which is always nice to test things because then you find out. But when it's tested, it the reaction is just great. Meaning people are saying, no, I love the city. I'll do, what can I do to help? And all of that I think is starting to stream people back, let's call it. Mm. Back uh, so, yeah, so, well, I mean, now that we have the kind of the city kind of as a topic here, I mean, um, I'm just going to turn a little bit to the mayoral race. I mean, are you backing anybody? Do you have any, do you have your eye on anybody um, to, to I think the city a, going a, forward? A few of them. I don't, uh, I've paid some attention to it. I've been otherwise occupied, but uh, uh, I, I haven't a clue what's going to happen. Uh, I, I suspect it might be surprising. The quote front runners, I'm not so sure. Well, there, there's so many, so many candidates. There are a lot. Yeah, it's like, yeah, a lot of candidates. Um, so, so let's let's kind of turn more broadly then to just kind of reopening because you know you have um, kind of a perch in so many different uh, sectors. You know, from from travel to dating, um, streaming media. Let, let's start with dating. Like, where do you see, um, <laughs> where do you see things post-pandemic? And, you know, how, how's, what's life going to look like? It, 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 uh, it doesn't surprise me at all. I think it's kind of, uh, been to me at least, it's been predictable for almost 15 years, which is, that technology has given us a better way to do something that uh, we did fairly proverbially for a hundred years or so. I mean, dating didn't really exist until the beginning of the 20th century. Um, and what this is, is just technologically fed. Uh, just a, It's not the only way, but for those who grew up in a period where uh, you went to places uh, to meet people, whether they were parties or bars or whatever, whatever. And it was it 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 it, it, it the actual chances of across a room, the proverbial West Side Story across a you know a gymnasium, of you seeing someone, they seeing you, yeah. and you locking on, and that's it. That's that. Uh, the odds aren't great for that, but with uh, uh, with online dating, it's just a better system, and it keeps getting better because the technology, of course, keeps getting. That was what created Tinder was technology, and those yeah. tools just get better. Well, and, and, and 
and just sort of like it, it, that is kind of turning to IEC, right? Um, so we'll, we'll talk about uh, Vimeo, which just spun out. That's your 11th spin out yeah, for, for IEC. Um, and so the model, I mean, it's really an unusual. Yeah, it's, a, it's an unusual model in the sense that it's, you're sort of a VC, you're sort of an investor, you sort of, like, how do you describe IEC? Like, how do you describe it? Like, it's, and who, who I do just you did, consider your actually, competitors? Which is, uh, it, it, it is a unique business model. And as I said, like everything in my life, it did not grow out of a central idea. It evolved. And what happened is, as we began uh, to invest and, and operate more than one company, and we were up to many, many companies. And I I began to feel that when a company got to be a sufficient size, it really ought to be independent, that that was a better structure for its management primarily. I thought first it's better for its management. It's then better for its shareholders. It, uh, uh, it, it is a situation where rather than being part of a conglomerate or part of a multi-business business, standing on, on, on your own is a healthier thing than being one of many. And so we started that and essentially we've kept going, which is obviously we were a multi-business business, so that is yeah. conglomeration. But we are also the anti-conglomerate in that when companies get to be a sufficient size, we spin them out to our shareholders and we've done that 11 times. I hope we'll do it, double that in the next five years. Uh, but that is a unique model and it's not for everyone, obviously. The thing is, actually, I think thankfully, it seems to be for no one other than us, which I kind of like. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe because it's uh, perceived by others to be a dumb concept or whatever, but uh, I think as a business model, I actually, the more experience we have with it, uh, the more, the more I embrace it. Can I just follow up on that? I'm, I'm curious. It's, it is interesting. You know, you call it a conglomerate, of course, the conglomerate that then spins out uh, these businesses. Now that the sort of disparagement of conglomerates in the markets is you get a conglomerate discount. So the, of course. you trade. And IAC trades at a discount to the sum of the parts. However, if one believed that over time those parts would be would be would be would come into my hands as pure spin-off, then in theory I should it shouldn't it should narrow that that discount. Interestingly, How, interestingly, it has over the years. Yeah. At a certain point, I mean, we do track that discount, uh, and I won't be exactly accurate on the. Uh, the percentages, but I think at one point we were, we thought we were way in the 30% discount. And recently that, that, that has narrowed as people have, I think more understood the model and more said, yes, well, you really ought to do kind of some of the parts here to at least some extent and, 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 and uh, value the, the, the IC security accordingly. But we're frankly, I'm, I'm kind of neutral about it. I don't really care about the, at any given point, the discount because uh, it allows us to repurchase our own shares. If we wish, it allows for greater 
obviously greater options and all of that. And eventually it'll work out. Since I don't yeah, it's just interesting that no one, I, I think it's funny when you say that, Barry, like it's funny that other people haven't recognized the value in it to the extent that you have 11 spinoffs, for instance, and you said you'll do double that in the next five years. I, I, no, no, Follow this is that. not a prediction. <laughs> I'm saying I hope, you know, but I could also but just triple. Yeah, what, what are the, what's the downside to, to it? What would you, what would be, I, you know, the truth is that um, this is a debate we endless, have endless debates in our company, uh, which we kind of prize. Uh, but I, I don't think there is, again, there is no downside to it if or after doing this process for a while, your rhythm gets engaged in it and it becomes your kind of, your kind of accepted rhythm of, of of functioning meaning you know what the model is and it's very clear to those relatively few people in our company doesn't matter whether it's clear to anyone else it therefore it doesn't have to me i mean the only downside would be a we do not build companies that we think or anybody would think deserve to be independent or have any value in which case the whole thing would collapse. And that is our always our big worry. We are in the endless what's next business. Yeah, so yeah. how do you scour for ideas? I mean, that's kind of, I mean, particularly th there's so much competition, right? Like now you have SPACs, you have oh, yeah. well, private equity, Blackstone is, you know, Blackstone invested in Bumble. I mean, how do you, how do you keep ahead of that? And where do you, where do you find your ideas? And like, what are the sectors that, that are on your radar right now? Well, everything, anything that, <laughs> anything that is uh, virtual, to a large extent virtual, although we uh, contradicted ourselves with uh, our purchase of uh, MGM resorts, an interest in MGM resorts, uh, which is hardly, which is as a future virtually in terms of online, but uh, certainly has a physical footprint. But we range, everywhere we can. I mean, the only way you can perpetuate what we particularly do, because we are not one business, which I'll take it, the other business of which I have responsibility, direct responsibility is Expedia, which is clearly in the travel business and doesn't range outside of the travel business, nor should it. Uh, so it makes iteration within kind of obvious, but for us, unless we forage for ideas uh, as to what is a good idea, which is what we're trained to try and ferret out, uh, we, we, we have no future. And so it is not sector led, it's not by anything other than what instinctively sounds like a good idea that you, it, you can't get anywhere with us at least at least until you can pass that first test beyond then there are other tests you apply to it um so let me ask about the mgm thing because it is unusual and it, it, it was yep. not um something that iac it's not the quote-unquote iac oh, way um, and 
Uh, it was it was a significant investment, right? Yep. Um, to, uh, about a billion dollars for about a twelve percent stake, and yes. and and it's in your in your uh, letter you were basically saying that it's because you see the opportunity for um, online gambling. If, you know. We definitely see that. But all- why 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 MGM? Why not? I mean, there's DraftKings. There's there are other there are there are pure play online companies. Because, that look, kind what of- happened again? Again, our process is what it is, which is. <laughs> We started reviewing things during the pandemic. Uh, I mean, started, we do it all the time, but in the pandemic, we said, okay, uh, very many things are stopped right now. Uh, let us turn our attention. We have we have too much capital in reserve. Uh, we don't want to squander it, obviously. We're happy to let it sit there until an idea hits us. And a lot of things with us start and end with what's wrong with this idea. Maybe a good idea, and then you say, okay, what's wrong with it? And you scratch that. A great many things fall aside. When we looked at online gaming, and actually gaming, and uh, we, for better or for worse, right now it's very much for the better, but uh, uh, we kept looking at MGM. MGM on many, in many, call it counts, for us was continually impressive. And as we stripped away, okay, what's wrong with us? It, 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 it stood alone. Stood alone because of what we thought was it's, 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 uh, being vastly undervalued because of the pandemic, because of its management, that we, when we learned about their management, because of their prospects, not only online, but in terms of their remarkable infrastructure, ne- uh, impossible to create anywhere in the world, mm-hmm. other than in Las Vegas, where you know they, they, their footprint is just extraordinary. And as that analysis went on, we said, well, we're gonna surprise ourselves here and uh, take a direct interest. And we've done so. And I mean, it's more than doubled in value, but that, you know, we're not like, it's not like we're gonna, we're not uh, a quick fixers and out. Uh, not that we fixed it, but as people realized, people were gonna come back to Las Vegas and that online was growing. So, uh, so far, everything we have learned has only increased our interest in the category and in the company. Uh, it's not like we'll repeat it, though. So, so, so you, you meaning that you won't look to do similar types of investments in other types of companies? Like, I just I to- mean, it's, look, it's possible. I, 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 again, one of the things with us is ruling out stuff is really stupid. I mean, uh, ruling out by category, by this, by that, is just makes no sense for us. Well, and, and let's let's talk about Turo a little bit too, because that was somewhat unusual as well. In that um, you are the um, you're the 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 biggest shareholder in that company, um, but you don't really have control of it, and you you typically like to have investments where you fully control yep. it, or you have. I guess more of a but you know, as I said, there's a, there is an exception to everything. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many times, you know, if we keep repeating 
uh, these exceptions uh, in the same thing with the same whatever, yeah. then we won't. We will. <laughs> the rule of exceptionalism will disappear from us on many counts. So. The thing is, we thought that's a great idea. Peer-to-peer -peer car sharing is a great idea. Of course, we did not know that what would happen is that the supply chain for cars and because of the pandemic and because mm -hmm. of this and because of the difficulties that the big rental companies had that they'd start deposing of their fleets and we were the only ones around who had inventory. And so the business skyrocketed during this period. Mm -hmm. But it's a great idea. Uh, and uh, look, we'd we'd own all of it if we could. Okay. So, what where do you where do you see it going? Like, do you think? Because um, I, I it, it reminds me of Airbnb very much in that kind of model. Do you yeah. see it uh, at some point going public? Do you like where do you, where do you see it going? Yes, from that's inevitable. Like, it, it, in, given the structure of it, it will of course be a public company. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I also I want to talk about um, something else that's been in the news recently um, regarding Match and Tinder. Um, there's going to be a lawsuit in November about um, the, the Tinder uh, executives are accusing ISC and Match of uh, undervaluing Tinder. Um, so I guess I just want to step back and ask. Well, you know, here's the thing. I'll interrupt this just to say this. Oh, okay. It, you know, I've been involved in many, actually, thank God, very few lawsuits in my lifetime. So my ratio is probably lower than most who've been in business for a long time. Uh, this one on its base is really quite absurd. We, the quote of the undervalued the company, we didn't value the company. We had an agreement with some of the employees of, of, uh, of uh, Tinder that at a certain, at certain dates or whatever, the company would be valued by others and the employees would have the option as to whether they wanted to sell into that valuation. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what happened. Now the unscrupulousness and shame, I mean, it, it, shamelessness of the litigators, uh, the lawyers in this to bring a lawsuit and bring into it issues of uh, sexual harassment having uh, I mean utterly except for some you talk about you know QAnon craziness the idea of relating a sexual harassment incident to a manipulation to undervalue the company and making a link between the two for purposes of I don't I, I mean it seems inconceivable that anybody who looked at the facts would ever say well th that really is kind of that's a crackpot theory nevertheless in today's world with people working uh you know for uh uh working on litigation uh and participating if they ever get anything out of it uh contingencies uh, I, it, it happens. I mean, you can accuse anybody of anything. I just find it, I do really find it. It's kind of, it just isn't, it, it, it is akin to many things that happen today where facts don't seem to matter, but they will in the end. I mean, this has gone on a long time. 
and it will come to trial uh, soon, I hope. Uh, and I think it'll be quickly disposed of. When so, it, so you don't you don't think this would be a risk to to shareholders, and it should be like you know. Well, look, any I can't. Shareholders have to make their own determinations, and we've of course stated all the facts as we've seen them, and people make their their judgments. But uh, you know, companies say uh, always in almost all of your cases without merit. Uh, this is not just pro forma. This is this is really it it it, it is. It's outrageous that it's got that gotten this far. Other things are probably more outrageous in the scheme of things that I'm not aware of. But uh, it it uh, I would be surprised at any result that did not affirm that we acted correctly in this instance, and that'll it'll be done with it. I understand. Look, if people sold out, if you anything, any. Thing, anything anybody participates in where they own something or they have a right to something and they sell it and then that thing goes on to huge success and they say if i'd only had an interest in it now instead of when i decided in the case of this was a decision to sell my interest uh god look how much more i would have gotten Okay, I understand that, but it's not the basis for anything other than complaining. Not um, so, so let, let me let me kind of kind of on the on the um, on match, and and this, I'm turning to actually competition, and um, sure. and and really competition being big tech, um, and Match, I believe, testified recently that. It spent like 500 million uh, to Apple for yep. its App Store. Um, yep. Epic is suing Apple right now. Um, what, what are what are your views on you know Apple, Google? I mean, you do business with Google too. I mean, yeah. so how, I, I, how I do you? Clear about all this is really simple. It's fair. They have a service. They have a store. Uh, I, in a sense, I don't even liken it more. I liken it more to. Uh, how you function with credit uh, platforms like credit card companies, which charge, of course, for you to transact over their platform. But their you have a choice, though, right? You have a choice well, of credit card. Well, you have a choice, but also their transaction fees yeah. are generally parallel, and they're probably in a couple of percent range at the most. I think paying 30% tribute uh, for basically simply being, uh, uh, so to speak, listed in what is an app store, which in Apple and Google's case are duopolies, if not in Apple's case, a, a kind of closed system monopoly. I think that's nuts and it will not stand. Now, whether it gets there through regulation or litigation, I don't know, but I would predict to you some years from today that uh, people who use these systems will not be paying 20 or 30% or probably 15%. The, the, the fees will come down to what fee transactional. All it is is a transactional fee for processing. That's it. That's what they do. 
And so I think they'll come within range of that. And I think the only thing that's prevented it, again, has been their market power. Yeah, I mean, but but let, let's talk about also, you know, the duopoly of, of Google and Facebook and their, you know, digital ad revenue. I mean, you have lines of your business that depend on ad revenue as well. I mean, how do you view them? They just seem to be gobbling up more and more of, a, well, what, uh, what, of look, the market. What has happened is that, listen, these companies, Apple and Google, they're, I mean, there is nobody that does not use a search engine, which, and if you use a search engine, you're using Google search engine primarily, uh, who doesn't marvel at over the years how fantastic it has gotten in being able to deliver you a result from a query. That's a great achievement. And, and all the revenue that they can derive from that and advertising is great. However, they are an absolute monopoly. Uh, and, uh, and therefore, I do not believe it is either wise for them or wise for regulators to allow them to be in competition with their advertisers, i.e. placing their own products in front of the products that people advertise and pay them for. It seems to me very simple, very obvious. Again, within some years, I believe that will be corrected. The EU has been making movements to do that for some time now. The US regulators will. Market power and monopolies, I do not necessarily believe they should be, quote, broken up, but they have to be regulated. When you have market power, there has to be regulation. You can either self-regulate, that's rare, but if you don't do that, and these companies have not done that, monopolists tend to monopolize, and uh, therefore regulation is going to come without any question. It will come. I don't know if it's going to come this year or next year or the year after. Mm -hmm. It'll come either privately or uh, through uh, litigation. Um, so just kind of also on that theme, I mean, do you think Amazon, well, actually, what do you think of Amazon buying MGM Movie Studio? And well, that's a different, that's not, then you're you're now moving into a whole other area of consolidation in the media business, which is, you know. Yeah, well, I'm sort of moving that way. So I, okay. but I wanted to frame it. Animal. Yeah. And it's kind of obvious. I mean, I, I Amazon, unlike every other uh, player in streaming, in media, you know, if you go back historically, of course, the purpose of being in the media or entertainment business was you have a product, an entertainment or communications product or media product. And if people watch it, if people go to your movie theaters or and sit in seats, you get paid for that people who in the chain of that, but you get paid directly for the interest in that product, whatever that product is. Amazon is in a different business. Amazon's business is having people be members of Prime and buying lots of goods and services from Amazon, not necessarily watching Jack Ryan or any individual show or whatever. That's a byproduct. They've decided that one way, in addition to free shipping and all the other services they offer to get people interested in Amazon Prime is to offer media. Uh, it's impossible, frankly, to compete with that if you are simply trying to say, I have my own little product 
uh, movie, television show, and you like it as a consumer, and you directly pay exactly what it is worth to you, et cetera, for getting that product. That's a hard thing to do with an entity that says, I don't really care much about that. I just care if you join Prime and buy more or mm -hmm. Amazon products. So it's quite unique. Now, them buying MGM, I don't think changes the landscape at all. The landscape, I've been very clear about this. I, I don't want to be bombastic about it or whatever. And I'm, you know, it's the uh, value of uh, words that have no price tag on them. So, I mean, you can discount them completely and quickly. But I've felt for many two years that uh, Netflix, if you if you would call it who wins, Netflix won some time ago. Nobody will get up to their, I believe, their uh, subscriber level. That doesn't mean that there aren't other services that are going to streaming services that are going to be be in the in the uh, in a value in the streaming world. It just means that the momentum that Netflix has, I do not believe, can be duplicated by anybody. Therefore, the other people in it have to really rationalize what they are getting for what they're giving up, meaning that they are having to spend huge amounts of money to attract direct consumers, which is what streaming is about. And in the end, how many subscribers do you have as against how much you are putting out for that exclusive relationship with uh, uh, consumers, i.e. direct relationship, as against how much you're giving up from not having sold, as media companies have done since time began, to everybody. That's an equation that in the next years, as people start to add up the costs and the subscriber counts and the revenues and all that, it's going to, will come to, uh, you know, we'll come to some conclusions. And I think there will be, uh, in that process, there's going to be a, 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 a lot of, uh, as I say, blood on the floor. So, so that that's, that's interesting kind of in, um, relation to the recent news too, with, you know, Warner brothers discovery. Um, I mean, do you think that they have, like, where do you think they're going to sit in the marketplace? Well, you know, I mean, you start again, this thing of con consolidation, AT&T decided, I think recklessly, because they had a perfectly lovely business that Mr. I'm sorry, that Ma Bell gave them uh, and that metastasized into, in, into uh, uh, the cellular business uh, from landline, a remarkably good business, and uh, but with some competition. And they said, okay, their route was to get into media and unite media with whatever. And they bought DirecTV and then they bought Time Warner and whatever. And of course it came to tears. And now they've, they've, they've sold one and or they've spun off direct. And now they're combining uh, Warner with Dis Discovery. There's not much, uh, I mean, look, Discovery, first of all, Discovery's management is wildly better able to manage assets than AT&T can yeah. in this area. I don't think there's any question about that. And they are advantaged to a degree by combining the discovery nonfiction with Time Warner's predominantly fiction other than CNN. 
So I mean, it's kind of a decent industrial combination. It, it, it's tagged with an awful lot of baggage in terms of, in order to do so, they have to carry a lot of debt in order to make the transaction work for AT&T. But they'll, they'll, they, they ought to do, again, they ought to do okay, depending again upon how much they put down to spend on programming to compete for direct relationships with consumers as the cable bundle continues to devalue. Uh, it's okay. Can I, can I ask you to just jump in? We've got a bunch of questions, Barry, that have come from the audience. One of them is sort of related a little bit to media, traditional media, um, and sort of this, I'll, I'll give you the question, but we can think about, it, it's a sort of corollary to what you just answered, which is, in the 1980s, you very much wanted to acquire CBS. Are you happy that that didn't work out? Yes. <laughs> I'm happy, so, you know, like anything, and it's probably a great rationalization. I can rationalize, you know, at shortly before CBS, we bid for Paramount and lost it to uh, to uh, uh, right. Viacom, to Sumner Redstone. And, uh, and it was really because I clutched at the end uh, and didn't, bid the higher price that bought the asset. Um, and who knows what would have happened with the world had that happened? Who knows what would have happened with the world if we had gotten CBS? I know one thing that would have happened is I wouldn't be in charge. <laughs> I might have a new career, but I, I, would, I, would, I would bid over a lot that I would not be running some, something called CBS or something called Paramount years later. Right. For a lot of reasons, because the one thing I got out of this was a, an absolute, for me, that a, a rule, an order to myself that I would never engage in anything uh, where I did not have the ability to control my own destiny, meaning that I had the ability to vote at least enough of the shares that I could never be told one day uh, goodbye or get in a disagreement that I couldn't prevail. Now, of course, nobody gave you the ability to succeed, but that was the rule for me that came out of that. So that it's a very simple answer for me, which is uh, thank God that didn't happen. Who knows what would have happened if it had it happened, but I guarantee you one thing, I wouldn't be running that company probably several years later. What would you do if you got, if someone said to you, Barry, look, Discovery has done this deal with Time Warner, Disney's going here, the, all these behemoths have, have, are, are, are getting together. Here we are, Viacom, CBS. What would you advise them to do, given this new environment of streaming? and? Uh, look, I, I am not a believer. I, uh, let me say it this way. Yes, scale has value. Of course it has value. If you have more scale, it's all the, you don't need to hear the bromides from me that come out of that. But I don't think scale is the answer, particularly. Uh, I think the answer is, if I had CBS and, and uh, Paramount, Viacom, whatever, I don't know, yes, CBS, whatever they're calling it, um, there are some very good assets there. I believe that if you manage those assets, which are producing content and you do it well, 
you will have a good return and out that will be offer you opportunities, challenges, et cetera. You do not need to buy anything or sell anything or necessarily, I'm not saying you shouldn't do either, but that the mantra that if in fact you must have giant scale, yes, if you want to compete with Netflix, which I think is a fool's errand anyway, but if you want to compete with Netflix, yes, you have to have a lot of scale to do so. That's obvious. But can you do very well for yourself and for your shareholders if you simply have good ideas, execute them well, and they will, there will be buyers, there will be audience for those things, absolutely. So I I I think that the problem in a lot of look, so much of this always is in the dreams and spirits of quote bankers or side players who go and convince people of theories about what the future is going to hold. And the prime reason for their doing it is, of course, I'm not saying they're bereft of intellectual abilities, but their reason for doing it is to create fees for themselves. That's what they do for a living. I don't think necessarily you gain that much. I mean, if a good idea comes, you listen to it. But but uh, to struggle and be desperate and whatever, I mean, you know, people have said, oh, Comcast, what is Comcast now going to do? Well, Comcast has... First of all, superb management and the best hedge in that you could ever imagine. They have a media business, NBC Universal, that does really good things. And they have a tech business in cable and in broadband that is the balance to that. People say, oh, spin them off. I think that's silly. They are they are in a they're in a fantastic position. They've also decided on a streaming uh, competitiveness that isn't that capital intensive. I think that's just pure smart. Now, people say they have to do so. I don't, I don't think they have to do anything. No, no. You mentioned Netflix. Uh, there's a question that came along that says, "How long can Netflix stay afloat in light of their debt burden? Are oh. people getting annoyed at Netflix AI screens? I mean, they probably are, but that's at Netflix what question." Netflix AI screens. I don't know what that means, but I don't well, know just your, your view on Netflix. I mean, where do you Netflix, um, do you... Netflix unless they do something just remarkably stupid, uh, just to declare them a winner and go home. Now, what will happen? Eventually, they will begin to rationalize. Right now, they're in the business of wildly competing for content, um, wildly meaning spending whatever is in their terms necessary, which is a great deal for the simple purpose of closing the game, meaning getting the most subscribers. They already have the most subscribers and they'll keep getting them. They'll lose some, they'll get some. But so long as they, that momentum of theirs is so great that, and they have pricing power and at a certain point, you will see their uh, subscriber counts graphing with their production costs and getting in line and they will end up having a very nice return for their investors. Right. Yeah, that's probably sounds right. What, uh, what, what's your take on tr vaccine passports for travel? Are you, I'm, I mean, very I much so. I think we have to have a passport. Everybody has to be vaccinated and you have to have a passport. I have what, some documentation, that it works, uh, that you've done that. And that is the key to 
putting your mask uh, with others in a bonfire and burning them all and living free and open. But uh, but having I, 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 people who say that what I, all I can do is just say what I said. You have to be vaccinated. You have to have proof of it. And if you get that worldwide, then travel, everything will come from that. Yeah. Quickly, what businesses are you incubating that you are most excited about? Is it care.com? What Care's else? one of them. Well, there are no. several, but care is definitely one. Uh, certainly Vimeo is one, which is now being spun out. Yeah. But there's always, you know, there are several in the, uh, we've gone through now oh, four cycles, I think, of uh, having gone from a big number of companies to fewer companies to a very large company to a smaller company as we've spun things out and then generated new things that have built things by way. That is the cycle of life for us. So there's always stuff, there's always stuff cooking. Yeah. What's what do you think the next thing will be that comes? Out I here? don't know. And I never will. Like, I mean, it's you can't point. tell us. OK, I get it. Or it's just I mean, I couldn't. I, if I told you, you shouldn't count on it. It, it, it is not yet in evidence. How is the How has the pandemic changed? I mean, obviously, there's Expedia is like one thing. But I mean, what uh, how has we can't yeah, know. we can't really know, you know, this whole thing of work from home. We've really not had we're still in the a uh, subjective period of this and be for some time before we can get objective about this. We're just now coming out of it. We lived in a period for a year where you had to work from home. Technology was there to be taken and and, and was advancing anyway, but got a super jolt. Uh, the lessons have been learned is that yes, you can do productive work from home, but you always could, but it has been accelerated by the tools, techno te technology tools. That were that have become available. Uh, however, whether that's a good idea or a bad idea for companies of, uh, uh, to, to 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 abandon their let's call it in-house environments, culture, et cetera, et cetera, and processes, I think is very soon to tell. Companies, our companies, have come out with policies about hybrid. Uh, relationships with the, uh, our employees, our staff. Uh, but I've said whatever we come out with is subject a year, six months, two years to change. I think we don't know. Once we have a year or two post pandemic, we can then start to determine what are the most sensible courses for, for, for work. I'm absolutely not convinced that it is good to have a hybrid situation where to me saying three days at the office and two days at home seems like you're simply saying to people, well, it's now a four day weekend and a three day work week or, you know, verging towards that. Although I'm exaggerating for effect. Uh, I don't know that that's a good system for us to have. that's going to be productive. Uh, Particularly How have you done it at IAC? What will you be? What your... we have done well at Expedia, we have uh, we we have hybrid, which is three days uh, a week in the office, and we've chosen Tuesdays and Thursdays to be at least two of those three days because we want commonality. I think the whole thing has actually been thought of much in reverse. It it has been thought of as uh, uh, 
employee centric. When in fact, if you have uh, uh, environments like at Expedia, we just finished for our sins building a campus for over a billion dollars in Seattle for you know, 12,000 employees where the right or wrong, the thoughtfulness that went into that, into that environment, into how it would benefit everybody by how you relate people to people and functions to functions and all of these kinds of things in an incredible atmosphere. The question is, how, how does that work? How does that hub now work for the future? Uh, as an attraction of a place for people to go to do productive things. We're just, we're, it's too early and there's too much noise about, you know, the pendulum swings, everybody should do things from home, et cetera, et cetera. Offices are dead, real estate will go this way. And that's all hogwash right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, before we get to a question about um, your tennis and your views on Broadway, um, as a question, kind of a slightly more serious one, which is about online dating can leave its users exposed to harm. How do you plan to protect them from many of the issues, including oh cyberbullying? We do a lot. I, I, all I could say is just if you're interested in that, go onto the match site, match group sites. You will find, uh, and, and, and really a lot of work has gone into being as protective as you can uh, without invading people's privacy beyond the beyond rationality, you're always going to have in any situation that connects anything, you're going to have bad actors and some things will happen. But technologically, and in terms of rules and in terms of this and that, they are as protective as it is possible, I believe to be. And by the way, over their life, there have been relative, I mean, remarkably few incidents, but incidents will happen. Sure, sure. Okay, tennis. So have you gotten better at tennis? Actually, it said any better. I wonder if this is a friend of yours. Well, here's the thing. I would say to whoever asked that question, their observations of me are rather minimal. I have not had a tennis racket in my hand since I was 22 years old, and I'm no longer that. Oh, really? I was wondering that. <laughs> well, okay, then let's switch to Broadway. <laughs> you mentioned it when you talked about <laughs> that racket I have had in my hand for the last several years. How how is it? I mean, what's your how you you said New York is going to come back with a bang? Oh, look, bang. Broadway. You know the the of uh, you know it's a tiny arena, although it has a huge effect on downstream in terms of New York and businesses and road companies and all sorts of and art, artistry and all of that. Broadway has been more hit. And, and, and damaged than any other activity uh, for sure. Now, you know, stadiums, of course, have been hit, but found ways to still have their teams be productive or do whatever. But Broadway, no one has been able to perform for a solid year, literally unable. And it's going to start in September. Actually, it starts earlier than September in a couple of uh, uh, instances. But uh, the and 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 the government supposedly was going to have is having a fund to help these shows get back on their feet, which to this day uh, everybody is waiting for. 
these uh, endless submissions to be approved for uh, for 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 help. But it will come back. But the damage that has been done, the number of people who worked in the theater who no longer even live in New York because they couldn't afford to be here and have changed their lives and professions and all of that is is pretty pretty rough. Uh, and we have uh, probably three shows coming back. Uh, or we have Music Man with Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster uh, coming at the end of the year. We have other shows coming back. But uh, it will, of course, but it, is, it, it has been really rough on everybody in the theater. Yeah. Jen? Well, I, I do have one, one question, one last question for you, sort of in the vein of New York City. And it's something I've, I've kind of, I'm curious about and wondered about for a long time. I mean, part of, um, I love the IAC building. It's also just, it's, yeah, it's, it's a good great addition. It's a, I, I love the, it looks like a big cloud. Um, why did you choose to have IAC headquartered here in New York City? I mean, why not? It, it kind of has tech roots. Why not California? You have roots Part in of the reason, First of all, I'm not a New Yorker by birth or by ever, yeah. whatever, because I didn't come to New York until I was 23 years old. Uh, and uh, and I've and ever since then, I've never actually lived here full time. I basically lived between here and California. Yeah. And then lots of other places. Uh, but the reason for IC is for me, uh, and this is the thing of why I have confidence in, though, I've certainly uh, you could not get away from the damage that has been done to New York. I think, again, it's, it, well, it's damage. But the reason for IC being in New York is New York's the capital of the world. Uh, in the arts and finance and so many things. It's also the most stimulating city, I believe, in the world. And so if you have an enterprise like IACs, which if it is not in a stimulating atmosphere, it probably the flower wilts uh, and new ones don't grow. That's why New York. That's why New York then, that's why New York now, and that's why I hope New York tomorrow. <laughs> Well, on that note, uh, thank you very much, Barry, for all your thoughts. We've covered a lot here, um, but uh, I, 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 having been come back to New York for the first time in, a, in two or three months, um, it does feel alive. It feels like it's back, and uh, I think it's a great feeling. This podcast was produced by Paula Gill and Freddie Joyner in New York. If you haven't done so, please sign up on iTunes or wherever you choose to get your podcast fixes to subscribe to The Exchange and The Views Room. Don't forget to check us out on breakingviews.com. Thanks for listening.